Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Intuitive Content's Patrick Wheeland, the Content Group's Jody Flynn, Fireworks Media Group's Jesse Fawcett, Jupiter Entertainment's Patrick Reardon, Cream Productions' Kate Harrison, Cineflix Productions' JC Mills, Station 6's Tony Takabri, Glass Entertainment's Nancy Glass, and Anchor Entertainment's Ethan Goldman. All about how factual producers are dealing with the aftermath of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger and a contraction in commissioning. And from former Icon Films creative director Stephen McQuillan about the launch of new company Atomic Television together with UK factual indie Zinc Media Group. The Real Screen Summit took place in Austin, Texas last week, one of the major fixtures in the factual TV industry's calendar. Warner Brothers Discovery Chairman and Chief Content Officer for US Networks Kathleen Finch and celebrated documentarian Alex Gibney were among the keynotes and there was plenty to discuss from both interviews. From the impacts of consolidation to the growing influence of algorithms in commissioning plus a broader contraction as a result of challenging economic times. C21 News and Factual Editor Clive Whittingham was at Real Screen and over three days spoke to three separate trios of producers present to canvass their opinions on the hot topics. He also spoke to Stephen McQuillan, formerly with Bristol-based wildlife producers Humblebee Films and Icon Films, about the launch of his new indie Atomic Television, together with UK Factual Indie Zinc Media Group. In a moment, we'll hear from Jupiter Entertainment President Patrick Reardon, Cream Productions President Kate Harrison and Cineflix Productions President JC Mills. Then from Station 6 founder and chief executive Tony Takabiri, Glass Entertainment chief executive and exec producer Nancy Glass and Anchor Entertainment founder and chief executive Ethan Goldman. But first up, Intuitive Content President Patrick Wheeland, the Content Group President and Asylum Entertainment chief executive Jody Flynn, and Fireworks Media Group Chief Executive Jesse Fawcett. Hello and welcome to the latest C21 podcast. Uh, as ever, we start the year in January at the Real Screen Summit, so we're going for a big US factual focus across three shows this week, and I'm delighted to say that here on day one uh, in Austin, Texas, we have uh, three US factual execs with us, uh, Patrick Wyland uh, from Intuitive Content, Jody Flynn from the Content Group, which is part of Asylum Entertainment and uh, Jesse Fawcett, new, new face on our podcast. Welcome from uh, Fireworks Media, pretty new, new company. What, two year, years old. two years old? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you've got some news today as well, uh, paranormal deal that I've, I've seen. Yeah, so why so don't you yeah, tell us did an announcement. Tell us a little bit about Fireworks and that deal just to start with. Uh, Fireworks is uh, two years old. We came out of, um, came from a lot of other companies and, and launched my own entity uh, in Canada and America two, well, 18 months ago. And um, yeah, we're just hopping right along, all sorts of shows in crime, paranormal, home, OcuSoap, uh, really just any kind of, anyone that we find interesting and passionate, that's where we, we follow them and into their worlds. So um, today we just dropped a little announcement about a paranormal project that we're doing with the uh, creator of, uh, and the host of 28 Days Haunted on Netflix. Got a new series coming out with him, and that's uh, just, you know, pumping the tires a bit on that during the market, so creating a bit of heat. It's massive business, isn't it, paranormal? Like, we've got journalists, <laughs> you, being a Brit and all sort of sceptical and sarcastic about everything. Like, <laughs> but it's, it's big business, isn't it? It's big audiences. It, it is, uh, more internationally, recently, 
It's, uh, it, I find internationally if it's really popping there. So it had a bit of a swoon recently, but it's back on the rise again. So we're, we're, we're leaning back into that. Jody, you've been on the podcast uh, before, but for, for people that, that missed that, tell us a bit about your company and uh, what are you guys excited about going into, into 2023? Um, Asylum Entertainment Group is a, a group of companies, including the content group uh, and another company, Big City TV, Breaklight Pictures. We're very excited about a new project for Breaklight, uh, an unannounced project at Apple, which is our first project with them. We're excited about that. We're excited about some new development deals for returnable series and somewhat of some of the same spaces, a celebrity docufollow and a, and a, a, a home reno show. So uh, actually it's a real estate show more than a home reno show. So we're excited about the returnable series as well as the limiteds. You know, my theory on a production company is you, you need both. It works well if you have them both in the pipeline, bright and shiny, and then the returnables that you know are gonna come back for a few years. So we're excited to have both of those in the pipeline right now. So nice to get one away with Apple and you know, streamer series is uh, it's like the golden goose or whatever. But like you say, it's you can't, not every series is going to land there. It's important to have the, the sort of broad ecosystem to, to keep your company ticking. Exactly, exactly. It's also, I think, I think having the returnable series is a great place to try out new talent, not from a talent on screen standpoint, but behind the camera for photographers, for DPs, for editors, for PAs even, the people you want to bring up and give a chance. So we really enjoy having those shows in the building for that reason too. Patrick, tell us a bit about Intuitive. You've been on the pod last time I was sitting across from you was... New Orleans when we didn't even know what COVID was. And actually, that, do you know, we were saying today that only happened about six weeks after I we were know. in New Orleans. Oh my God, Can you crazy. remember anybody talking about it that week? Because I can't. I don't remember it being a thing. No, and I then like the thing either. We were headlong, we were chugging along and boom, it hit. But it's interesting to hear you talk, Jody, because that as a small company based in Minneapolis, we're doing the same sort of thing, trying to balance the kinds of projects that we're doing with the ones that are, you know, for... Uh, smaller to large natural history. We just screened sneak peek clips of our natural history series with David E. Kelly at Sundance. And so I came from that. That was a massive success. And um, so we're really excited about that. That won't be coming out until March of 2024, but it's a big one for us. Um, and, you know, our work with Discovery, it was interesting, you know, hearing about what Kathleen was saying. It's, you know, that the bloodbath is over there and that they can get down to business again. We do a lot of business with them and we really like the people that we work with there. And so we're excited that that stuff is behind them and they can focus on making great content again. What was your ratio of pitching to skiing at Sundance? So it was my first time at Sundance. Our filmmaker, Brian Peter Falk, who is a Sundance native, he's done movies with, with Robert Redford. In fact, um, when I said we were gonna ski, he said, you're crazy, nobody skis at Sundance. And I said, we're skiing Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. And so while everyone was partying till the wee hours, we would get up at eight and ski till noon. It was fantastic. The snow is absolutely amazing. Uh, but it was my first exposure to Sundance. It was really interesting because I come from the documentary side and television and, you know, we work with everyone from Outdoor Channel to Magnolia Networks and some of this new documentary stuff. We did a great series with MSNBC. So we were in this wide range of stuff, but that was a new exposure for me and I was really inspired. It's interesting docu-series, there's a lot of talk about that within the documentary world, which was always small and um, over there, but um, it was great. It's the advantage of dry January, right? You can get up. You can get at get up at eight o'clock. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, like I said, day one, um, day one at Real Screen. The keynote this morning was Kathleen Finch, uh, who runs the Discovery uh, Networks, the cable nets, as part of the what is now the Warner Brothers Discovery Group. 
2022, just all over the map from those guys, commissioning freezes, commissioners leaving, execs departing, producers angry, content being dropped off streaming services, you know, flaming torches, pitchforks all over the place. Kathleen came out this morning and basically said that that's all done. 2022 is boxed off. That's not how they want to do business anymore. She didn't quite apologize for how it went down. She said it was a, I think she described it as a moment in time. Um, and that's what happens when you try and slam two big companies together. I think she actually, what did she say? Enormous, ginormous, humongous, not humongous I think was the word. Uh, it was a moment in time. There's been some painful conversations. That was the theme of the chat. Don't worry about it, 2023. Clean slate, we're moving forwards, 4,500 hours, I think she said this year. As, as producers, and obviously you work with Discovery, you want to work with Discovery, so I appreciate microphone on. Um, we're only gonna be able to talk as much as we can talk, but what were your key takeaways from that keynote this morning? Let me start with you, Jody. Um, I, look, I think we, we can all agree, but tell me if I'm wrong. You know, we all hope that th that's the case, that the bloodbath is over, that the, you know, they're going to start ordering quite a bit of content now because they haven't ordered for quite a while, and I'm sure there are a lot of holes that need to be filled, which is always good news, you know, after going through what everyone has gone through in the last year. Um, what I find most interesting about the group from a creative standpoint is the doubling down on the brands, and they are really unique in that, and that that group really is so vertical and their their brands are so distinct and that they're you know as they've merged so many nets that they're making that even more distinct which really isn't a surprise to me but i think it's it's an interesting strategy and, and the way that they're looking at the group as a whole i thought it sounds like an interesting approach to the programming discovery channel i mean she was really firm on discovery channel uh, what did she call it heady content and wildlife content and things like that gone entirely it's all blokes with beards and oil rigs and mining now like like you say which speaks to the doubling down on the on the brands there what were your what were your takeaways jesse it seemed like it's back to basics definitely a lot of signs of tightening of the belt still on the budgets you know she talked about the leveling uh you know that the netflixes and those guys have pushed prices asked you know too high in the sky mm -hmm. and now there's a great re-leveling which is i think is a signal to all of us to you know tighten our budget belts a little bit um and then, yeah, it's, it's going to be back to their core, their core businesses and the core things that made them work. I think I'm already hearing here a shift away from celebrity uh, and the cost of celebrity, um, you know, which I think is great for us. Yeah. And that is core to Discovery, right? That's where they came from. They came from, from yeah. pulling people out of nowhere and making stars from them. So, and I think, and there's also, it's smart, you know, I, I, you know how much money will they, you know, not them, but if you take a holy moly, for instance, you know, without a Steph Curry, you know, however, I can't imagine how much they're paying him, but I'm sure, you know, the ratings correlation by not having him there isn't really going to work. So I think things got pushed into the stratosphere, especially with all the celebrity stuff. And I think it's great for us, the kind of shows that we make is to bring it back to basics with just regular people. I think, I, I, I think oh, that's a really good yeah. point too. I agree. Because the celebrity part of it, and you, you talk to the executives and you know, there's so many great people that we love over there who were saying, you know, we want to develop new talent, we want to bring in new talent, but we all kind of knew that that was really this environment 
to get as loud as you can be. It, they were even though they want to develop new talent, they weren't able to in the environment. And maybe this shift will allow them to because they are they have always been a fantastic incubator of talent. That guy that I work with, Andrew Zimmern, that's how he came up. And yeah. you know, he's a global star at this point, and now is a kingmaker for other people. Um, so I think that's a really positive opportunity. Yeah. We we were really sad with HBO Max. We had a series, a docu series, set up with them, and we loved the team there. And to see them all go and all that disappear was really hard. But you know what? We've retooled our series and we're taking it back out to market with a whole new fresh take, and it's better. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> you know what do you what do you say? So you just take what you got. I think there would have been a contraction in the market on content, anyways. With or without that merger, and so. Yeah, and I think she made, to your point, I think she made it very clear when she talked about putting Howard Lee over Discovery, and his ability to make unknown people into household names, and so it really speaks to exactly that that maybe celebrity isn't isn't what's going to work to get things over the line anymore. Sometimes I'm sure it will, but in general. She did make the point that obviously 2022 was bad for for Discovery, and they went through it but the other companies are now doing the same. So do we think a lot of these themes around, you know, cutting budgets, a reset perhaps after Netflix inflated everything, a move away from celebrity to get costs down and things, is that just a discovery thing and a discovery strategy or are you guys going to be seeing that everywhere? I think you'll see that everywhere. And that's the unique thing in the environment that I think is really special is that we like partnerships and partnering with other creatives here and around the world. We've shot shows all over the world and we have been finding a lot of success in partnering with new people like Cleve and Dave. Dave Nola was speaking this morning. We partnered with them on a series that we're taking out um, with Unique where we're taking international rights and, and U.S. rights and cobbling those together. That that's used to sort of be one way of doing it. I think it's going to be the way to do that and, and, and Discovery's even open For a long time they, we couldn't do it at all. Yeah. They wouldn't let, there was like, nope, we're just taking it. We want the entire world, even if they weren't going to use it around the world. Yeah. And I think because of these tightening of the budgets, one of the reasons I came to Content London in December is that opportunity to meet people to do exactly that yeah. because there are other financing models open to us now yeah. um, that weren't always there. So, you know, hopefully we can all take advantage of those. It's, it's, we're a Canadian and American company. And so we've, you know, I've been used to doing co-productions. And that went away for a little while, and it seems to be sort of a, the opportunity, we'll see, but it seems like there's sort of a golden age coming out, the complication of which is now with everyone having fast channels and all this fast channels, so it's like, there's now, it's, it's less about territorial integrity, it's more about windowing, and how do we share windows and right. across territories, and, and so, you know, we're seeing right now even shows from within the, the Warner Brothers Discovery Group saying, yeah, do you have something that you can bring in with some Canadian money? Can we start sharing windows? Can we start this? So it seems to be that there's, there's an opportunity there in this space, in this co-sharing of space. And hopefully there's, that's the, the one good that can come from all of this in the, in, the, in the tightening of the belt time. And I think for some of those channels and smaller channels that didn't have the budgets of Netflix who were trying to compete and provide great premium content to their consumers, couldn't get it, and now they can. Like, we're able to do that for them and to, you know, if the budget's a little challenging, come up with those partnerships and still create a premium look, the kind of look that you'd see on, you know, that's what we pride ourselves on, is doing 4K premium-looking content, the same kind of thing you'd see on Netflix that we can provide to Fast Channels or other, other distribution partners. Mm -hmm. 
I was going to ask you guys whether you believed her, but I think that might be a bit harsh to ask on mic for, for three producers that are going to that are going to want to work with Discovery. So let me. Um... <laughs> we love Discovery. They're really good people. It's just been a challenging system. Yeah. Okay. One of the uh... for them, I think that the, those people would tell you the same thing. They're amazing creative people who 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 really believe in creating great content for their audiences and like you know we'll get through those challenges your PR is going to be very happy with you about that one, well, uh, one of, but it is, that is true, it is true. all the challenges yeah. all the blood all that stuff like you know maybe it, things get better right I mean they do they it's it's churn one of the questions that she did get asked and this I'll, I'll finish up on this one Pete White from Deadline was was doing the keynote he said given the way that 2022 went down um our producers her theme was very much business as usual, we're commissioning again, bring us your best ideas. Are producers going to trust Discovery with their best ideas given how 2022 went? Um, you know, you guys are producers, do you just go where the money is and it doesn't matter or? Yeah. Do you see how many networks were up there? Like, right. we have to. I yeah. think we have to. I mean, you know, obviously you're always, you know, you hope that what she said about putting 2022 behind and moving forward and it's not the way they want to do business and it was just a mad, you know, a result of the merger, which seems, you know, understandable. Mergers are always hard no matter what the industry. Um, at least from my standpoint, I, I, we have to. There's just, they have too many networks that we, can't, we have to trust that it, it's going to shift. The question is really... You know, what's going on in the advertising market? That's the mm -hmm. that's the bellwether. That's that's the leading indicator, and, and we don't know. It, you know, a couple months ago, I was talking to some broadcasters who were saying, you know, like using words like "batten down the hatches" for next year, like zero buying and, and this sort of thing. And now it's, it just feels like it's shifting more towards a soft landing view of of twenty three, and maybe there's going to be a bit more. But I don't know. I mean, the, you, know, you look at the stock stock prices of the entertainment companies. You know, they were you know, they're kind of settling in, they're, they're crawling back. So that's, I think, to me, is the biggest question, is, is the economic one. What are the advertisers doing? Because that's going to dictate what trickles down to us. I, I, just, I was at the Brand Storytelling Conference at Sundance, which is a side-sanctioned event where marketing officers and networks and producers come together. It's a real small, intimate event. It was really great. But the Roku guys were there from the tech side, the guys that created um, Funny or Die. And what was really interesting was they're now creating branded content that are not heavily branded, but are shows, and they're partnering and putting it on their platform, and you see it on the landing page when you go on Roku. Like, they're even going in that direction, and I think that's going to happen. You're going to be seeing that a lot more, even at the Discovery Networks. So let's, let's move on from, from Discovery, if, if anything, just to relax everybody. Um, <laughs> um, how optimistic are, are you guys? Because like I said, the last time I was sitting doing these podcasts um, at Real Screen, we didn't even know what COVID was, and we've come through all of that. It was mentioned this morning, you know, the 30% COVID costs and, and all of this has kind of gone away now, or we're pretending it's gone away. But there's also these horrible economic headwinds, inflation, cost of production going up, which presumably will come the way of you guys rather than the, the networks or maybe they'll share but I don't know doesn't seem like something they would do um, so get like is this a time of, of optimism for, for you guys there's also a potential writer's strike which last time worked well for unscripted so is it is it a, a, a where are you guys as we go into 2023 how do you how do you feel about it that's Jody sorry to <laughs> throw you that I mean I, I would say cautiously optimistic but optimistic I mean you know, we've certainly seen a turn in the last you know the end of last year December into now and in orders that have been sitting for quite a while that have now been picked up um, I think 
they have to order. Like they have obligations and we have to figure out, to your point, maybe for less money, we have to see how the ad sales go, how the subscriptions go for, you know, for the, the SBODs and all of that. But they're going to have to order stuff because they just do. So things will get ordered and we'll figure out just, I, I think especially in Unscripted, we're nimble. And that's what we're known yeah. for. It's why we thrive when there are things like writer strikes and downturns in the economy. We can figure out how to do things and make it look good. And you know that's why we do well. And I, I think no matter whether, whether it's an economic downturn and or a writer strike, I think we'll, we'll come through it. Patrick, how are you feeling about this year? Is it, is it economic headwinds and batten down the hatches or is it land of milk and honey and opportunity? I wouldn't say milk and honey, but it is opportunity. And we're really, we really truly are optimistic. We built, you know, we invested a lot into our technology. We're based in Minneapolis, but we do work on the coast. And, you know, we create premium content at a really good price point and work in all different ranges. And I think that nimble part of that, I think that puts us in a position for growth. And we're seeing a lot of interest in the work that we're doing. And again, good work rises to the top. If it's great storytelling, the bottom line of all of it is the best stories are going to get their get their space and so you really believe in that and so you spent the covid break investing like you say in in infrastructure which sounds like it's going to set you up it feels quite nicely really yeah we're in we're able to work with anyone on the planet with our editing systems and we're you know we've had really good feedback from our network partners the way the about the way we work and i think that technology has really paid off um, i think the opportunities to work with creatives all over the place is now the new future. And so if you can have great partnerships with the best storytellers and can do it at a great price point, you're going to win in this marketplace because you can get your ideas out there. And it's about relationships. You know, our relationships with our friends at Magnolia, you know, they've faced tough times too. They've had their budgets cut. But ultimately, it's a relationship business and I agree with everything Jody said as well there. As I said to, to Jody at the start, she's got an Apple series away, which yes. is great. And that's the, you know, that's like, like I said at the start, that's the golden goose. But your, your range of productions and budgets we were talking about off mic is, is quite vast. That's, tell us a little bit about that and the sort of, is that the, the strategy of sort of future-proofing the company, having it like that? Well, sometimes my team says to me, are you crazy? You're going to deliver a show for that? <laughs> oh, I get that and I'm like, <laughs> You told them we could do it for what? <laughs> what? Are you We nuts? have to figure it out. It's what we do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Some of those shows are our favorite shows. You know, it's mm -hmm. about finding creative ways to partner and put together those deals. And ultimately, they pay off. If you're really proud of the work and you love what you're doing, you'll find a way to make it work. I, in a weird way for us in Minneapolis, when I started at this company five plus years ago, it was a little hard because we were in Minneapolis, we were backwater. Now it doesn't matter. And we've built this great system where we can easily interface with people anywhere on the planet easily and still get our content out there. So that switch has really helped us as well because we our, our overheads are a lot lower than the cost. Mm -hmm. Jesse, you launched a company off the back of COVID. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Smack <laughs> dab in the middle of it. What, you, what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, we're we're all naturally optimists to be in this yeah, business. Right. I mean, you can't. You have to be. You have to be. You have to be an optimist in this business, and you know, foolish or not, and and you know, but you know, fortune favors the brave often, and um, yeah, I, I I'm I am naturally optimistic about things. They we've done the same thing. We invested in in. I invested heavily in co-production between Canada and the U.S. I think that's really paying off, yeah. and we're seeing that now with with all of that. And um, you know, you you just you ride the wave. You don't know where it's you never know where it's where it's going to end. But 
you know, it's it, the business needs to continue. Jody's point, they need to feed the machine. And um, you just have to be smart and nimble and you'll get by and you'll do well. What sort of costs, when I talk about you know, there's inflation and there's rising production costs and everything. What sort of costs are you, is that actually happening for you guys? What, I mean, give us some ballpark figures or ideas of how tough it is out there, if you like. I'll start with you. Well, I think labor is certainly going, being pushed yeah. up. Labor's, labor costs are going up. Um, our broadcast partners are not always recognizing that and, and appreciating that. And, um, there, there's there's a lag there's a lag between our our real costs and and the network <laughs> agreeing that, that these are these are the real costs of inflation, but you know the, there's they're they're also you know they're they're also realists and they want a good product too. So hopefully we can all work together to recognize and deal with inflation. That's a real a real event. How real is it for for you, Patrick? Oh, the travel, hotels, air, all of that has gone up. And you know we want we really value our crew members. We they deserve more money, and we get we go to the bat for it. So our labor costs have gone up, but um, you know we have to just be a lot more efficient. It's hard, and it does like I think it's about a year behind actually yeah. on the budgets. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so more or less still to come. I'm trying to work out which way best way to say. Yeah, it, and you have to be much more efficient. We're trying not mm-hmm. to put as many people on the road. Try and hire yeah. locally when we okay, can. Yeah. Things like that. How are, how are you guys finding it? Yeah, I would say travel, travel and labor. It really is. Those are the two biggest pieces of doing a production. Um, and we do a lot of the same. We try to yeah. find local crews, travel as few as possible, you know, go with the producers, the DPs, the people who are going to set your look, the people that you trust, and then work with local talent as much as we can. Writer's strike, is that just is that something that people like me write about a lot and say, well, it worked for Unscripted last time and reality was born out of it, so it's going to be an opportunity for you guys again, or is it not? Is it... Is it is it not 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 that simple? I don't I, I don't really I don't know I I hear a writer strike I don't I can't really imagine there's going to be any massive bump to our right. business as a result of that. The price points are different. The buyers are different. The audiences yeah. are different. It's a different it's a different ecosystem. The brands have maybe sort of doubled down on their brand since then. Yeah. Right? So it, when yeah. was it? Two thousand and seven. Yeah. Like you know the. The, the the sports and you know with Kathleen was talking about you know the sports and the, the T networks you know they're like we're sports we're not gonna we're not doing reality and I can't imagine that changing anytime soon so I don't I don't know if it hopefully it will I think it depends <laughs> how long it goes too yeah, right yeah. if it's done in a week it's not gonna make a difference if it drags on into six to nine months yeah then then I think it'll make a difference yeah exactly let's hope for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we love our scripted friends, but we're, we're, we're optimists, right? <laughs> we're, we, we were not planning around that. So no, we no, just, no, of you know, it's, of course. It's, you know, I hope they, I hope the writers get what they need. Yeah. We always, I tend to finish off by asking what the biggest challenge or, or what the biggest challenge facing your company is and what the biggest opportunity is. Um, and we can do that if you like, but we have run through a couple of those so far. So I was going to also maybe ask, what have you come here this week to, to find out? What's the talking point that I haven't raised so far that you guys want to want to finish up with, be it a challenge, an opportunity, or something else? I, I would say one of the most things, I'm going to skip the challenge and opportunity one, um, but I think for me, I'm really interested to talk to my colleagues and a lot of what you've just talked about here. I'm curious to hear how everyone else feels. I'm curious to see what they're thinking is going to happen, where they're focusing their energies, because something that has changed over the last 15 years is that 
producers really can't help each other. We know each other in a way that we didn't, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And I think that collective knowledge can can help us all. So I was really curious to kind of just talk to a lot of people who are doing, dealing with the same things I'm dealing with. Aren't you meant to compete and like hate each other, isn't it? So. We don't. We really, you know what, there's so 4,500 hours only at the Warner Brothers Discovery Networks. Like, there's enough space for all of us. Yeah. And and so I think it's friendly competition. I thought I was hoping it was going to be like Anchorman, where you all met, <laughs> met up in a, in a parking lot for a fight. Like, well, when, I, when I first came to Real Screen, I used to be like, people would, are they hiding their shows or what they're working on? And now, like, we haven't even been together for three, what, three years? Um, I think for, I think you said it extraordinarily well, Jody. It's yeah. about... Um, creative partnerships and finding out what they're doing and I find it is a really super supportive environment and I know that I don't feel like I'm competing against Jesse or Jody we each have our own niches and you know made the best man win what are you here for uh, what are you here to find out what's the talking point that I haven't raised or the, the opportunity or the challenge that, that you want to finish with I, I, we're talking to a lot of the international distributors a little bit more we, we have our natural history we have our US partner but we're working on international distribution on that big four partner so we're talking to different people about that. That's, you know, and learning about these, what other creative partnerships and ways people have had financing, that's sort of our big talking point with people. You know, that's, yeah. Jesse, you're back in, uh, you're at in-person events with your new company for the first time, I guess, really? Like yeah. the last few months. So what, what have you come here this week to, to find out or, or talk about? Well, I think it's just it, getting, our, getting the pulse, talking to all of our fellow producers about really what is happening. And, and that we already, you know, we've talked a lot about that today. There was, there was a lot of kind of sky is falling sentiment that was out there, I think, prior to this that we're all realizing is, nah, it's not that bad. And, and uh, you know, we're all going to be fine. And, you know, just where, how are we going to start pulling these different parts of the international markets together and just you know, all the usual all the questions we've sort of run through it's 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 just how are we gonna what are we hearing from each other and how are we gonna navigate these waters you know and i think we're seeing that the waters are smoother and there's there's there, there's more opportunity uh than we thought and so press on Day two of our American Factual and Unscripted Focus coming to you from the Real Screen Summit in Austin, Texas. I'm delighted to say we've been joined by three more uh, production execs today, two of whom have been on the podcast before and one of whom hasn't. Uh, Kate Harrison from Cream Productions is a bit of a veteran on this podcast. Uh, Real Screen, I think. Uh, New Orleans, 2020 was the last time we, uh, we sat down, the last time in person. So right. yeah. nice to see you again. How are you, Kate? Very well. I'm Kate Harrison. I'm the president of Cream Productions in Toronto. We work mostly in non-scripted, sort of out of the States, and I'm excited to be here. Patrick uh, Reardon, also uh, second or third time on the podcast, I think, from Jupiter Entertainment. For those who don't know about Jupiter, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, we are a 25-year uh, company, originally founded in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now we have offices in New York and L.A. as well, and we do um, a lot of true crime, about 300 hours of true crime a year, which is our core business. Very... Um, very popular genre at the moment. It's very, very buzzy. So, still the one-hour self-contained cable stuff, or the serialized streamer stuff, or a bit of, bit of everything. We're doing a little bit of everything. I would say 80% of what we do is the closed-hour, closed-ended hours, murder of the week uh, type of stories. But we have mixed in another 20 or, or so percent of the more premium. We have a Peacock project we just delivered. We're doing some premium docs in those spaces as well, but primarily episodic. And uh, finally, J.C. Mills from Cineflix Productions. Um, I think you've been on our podcast before, but not with me. But, uh, but uh, welcome back. Um, 
tell us a bit about yourself, JC, yeah, and, sure. and, and, uh, and Cineflix. Um, president of Cineflix Productions. We are a full-service production company based out of Toronto, uh, mostly, but also New York, where I am. We have offices in Montreal, uh, Dublin, and London, where distribution sits. Um, we don't do as much crime as these guys do, but we do a ton of crime. We do a lot of lifestyle. Um, we do scripted. We're most known for American Pickers, um, a show called Mayday. We call it Mayday. It's actually called Air Crash Investigation for Nat Geo. Um, also about 25 years old. Air Crash Investigation is actually my favorite show as well. I don't confess that to it. many people, but, uh, but yeah, it is. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the week so far at, at Real Screen. We were saying before it came on mic, it's been very business focused and a lot of talk about mergers and acquisitions and the effect of that and streamer algorithms and uh, things like that rather than the actual shows this week. That's how it feels to me. I mean, you guys are the experts. Kate, what are your sort of takeaways two days into the week? Um, I mean, I do. I think it's true. It's not quite so much sort of creative pitching. It's the balance of, okay, you've got a great idea, but the conversation has to be about what's the best way to get it to the finish line and how can we as producers and distributors, honestly, help networks make it an easier jump. Um, I think, you know, two years ago, or I guess pre-pandemic, it was all about we want, you know, commission everything and take all the rights. And now that we're going back to the world of, you know, how can a producer make this easier for us to say yes to on a business, on the business side of things. Mm. And much like, much like Cream, um, you know, thankfully as a Canadian company, we have access to tax credits that help fill that gap. And as Kate said, the networks in the U.S. especially are very much um, open to playing more ball than they were even two years ago uh, with co-productions and, oh, we'll just take U.S. rights and, and things like that that you haven't heard in a while. Yeah. So it's good for business in that way. Patrick, what's your, key, your takeaway this week? Well, it's interesting because, as you said, in real screen past, this used to be a marketplace where you'd come with an iPad loaded full of... And actually pitch. Yeah, five, seven sizzles. And yeah. you might sell three of them. I mean, this was, people were here to buy. Exec, creative execs were empowered to make decisions, take some risks. That process is completely broken. The, even at the highest level in most of the networks that we are all working with, most of the buyers in general, the creative execs, getting a, a quote-unquote green light from a creative exec is step one. Then it goes into a big group meeting. Then might go through some sort of algorithm analysis. So Don't forget about ROI. And then ROI, of course. But it's what it's done. So it's just, sorry, can you just explain the, the ROI bit? Because Kate and I were, were talking about this, this off mic because... There's a lot of first-time producers. It's kind of a it's, a it's a thing at real screen that people come. I've had this idea, and they they pitch it. And I think the sort of traditional model, like you say, is well, you get greenlit if you're lucky by a network, and off you go to the races. Yeah. But well, it used but, to be an actual market. Like, <laughs> you could you could come in, and you'd have like if you had a male skewing project, you had seven networks that you could pitch to, yeah. and then maybe you got an offer at lunch, and then maybe the next day you got a second offer, and then you could actually get some competitive traction. And that doesn't happen anymore. Well, and it and it doesn't even happen outside of real screen. I mean, you could go in with something that you love, that is completely fully developed, that your network loves, that is a perfect fit for them creatively, that the head of programming loves, and that is not enough anymore to, to, to get a green light. That's enough to start the conversation. And as, as JC said, it used to be competitive. There, would be, there was a lot of overlap between A&E and you know, Discovery, and they might compete over project. That doesn't happen much anymore because the, the brand uh, identities have gotten more narrow. So you're lucky if you get one network even interested in your project. And if you do on a creative level, 
the the so you you asked about ROI, return of investment, return on investment. Basically, they you know if there's a show they're even considering, they do a numerical analysis. If we pay 400 an hour for this, or in these days, if we pay 200 an hour for this, <laughs> can we make it back in a year, in two years, in three years? And almost that is for what we think it's going to rate. Well, yeah, based yeah. on uh, based on our projections and our data and this and that. And some of these buyers now are using actual computer AI analysis to look at these things and these trends. And I used to say creative always won out. If you had a great show that people championed and believed in, they would get it through. You could make it work. That is just not the case anymore. It's the numbers have to. It starts with the numbers. And if the numbers don't make sense, if the creative doesn't even matter. It's it's Moneyball. Yeah, right. Moneyball Network, in, networks yeah, yeah. Playing, have begun playing Moneyball. Mm -hmm. And what that what you see is there's no creative innovation anymore, because what is the what is the algorithm going to say works? What has worked before? That's the only information it has. So you come with some big out of the box idea, it's going to be risk. Or somebody, or somebody in the past would have said, let's take a swing, right? Because we we love we love this. I don't know. Does that even happen anymore? It, no, and it's it lost. It loses the whole sense of immediacy. Like the immediacy right. of a market was. I've got the hottest project, who gets to have it? Now it's flipped the other way around where I've got the greatest product ever, who can I talk into it? Right. Um, it becomes who do I, a who do, I gotta beg? who do I have to beg? And how do you actually present? Used to just be bring a pitch document. I mean, we walk in and say, here's the pitch document, it totally fits for you, and this is why it's a good business decision. And those are conversations happen simultaneously. Because mm -hmm. if we can prove the cost per hour, clicks, I mean, I have lots of conversations with people that. We love this. Can you get the cost per hour under? Yeah. And I flip it by $3,000 to get it under whatever that benchmark in the sky. And like, it's an easier I yes. 10 episodes to that. Maybe I can yeah. figure that out. Right. Maybe I can figure that out for you. Yeah. So, so, Kate, you've uh, said to me before you, you were a business person sort of before you were a creative or you like that business well, side. I am a business person as opposed to a creative. I've never been a writer. I've never been a director. The business side of this is what's interesting to me and has been interesting to me historically. So um, is, this, is this playing to your strengths and you're really enjoying this, this, new, so. this new way of doing business? It's like a puzzle, <laughs> it's like a puzzle. And, I, and our job as producers now used to be get the greatest creative and you know, I'm very good at hiring really great creative people. Now it's Here's all the great ideas. How can I make this a win for the network, a win for me, a win for, you know, everybody has to take a little bit of a compromise. The deals aren't as good Mostly as us. they used to be. Mostly us, but if you can make it work for them and still get a little piece of the pie, it's a win-win situation. And for me, that's kind of exciting because it becomes like the Wild West. Which goes back to what you're saying, that the networks are now open to playing ball. It's like, oh, we'll take US rights only if the price point makes sense. So you're having more of a business decision and you're having a creative decision. Well, when I started at C21 sort of 10 years ago, you know, the idea that a discovery exec would let you have anything, they just wanted it in 196, they were very big, you know, we got channel in 196 territories, we're gonna need it for all 196. Those, I mean, they, with the money they're paying at the moment, I guess they, they can't do that, is that? Yeah, as they, as they started to expand the international footprint, all the, all the brands, they needed to have it roll out in India and France and wherever else, and for the producer it was like, you used to have your rights, then you had no rights, and now because they need things to be cheaper, they'll sacrifice and let you have rights if you can hit a certain price point. But it's a double-edged sword because they're, they're giving it to us when the international market is worth as uh, the lowest it has in recent history. So we have some projects that we do control rights on the crime side. And you know between COVID and the potential recession that we're dealing with and a number of other factors, that market has dried up. So it's like 
great, we have these rights. We're doing this as a bargain at a bargain price for you. But what used to maybe net us an extra $30,000, $40,000 an episode is now five, six, or it's a very, very slow trickle. So it's a bit of a false promise. If you're looking at the long game and you really believe in the project, it can make sense to hold on to those rights. But meanwhile, if you're producing something at cost, then how are you funding development? How are you hiring that extra executive that's going to have quality control as you expand. You really it, great the, distribution relationships so that they it. help you offset and leverage against your rights. That's the only way sure, we've done it. Sure, but distributors, I don't know how you guys are, what you guys are seeing or what you're doing. Many of them are eliminating advances or reducing advances. I don't know, maybe depends. It depends, may, on yeah, depends. It depends on the yeah. show. Yeah. So yeah. For crime anyway, I'm seeing that. Yeah. Maybe in other categories it's not the case. Well, that, that's the benefit of us having distribution in-house. You know, there's no... And it's hard. You got to you got to schlep around to all the distributors. Say, here's my here's what I have. Here's what I need. They'll try to whittle you down. Can you can you accept this? Can you absorb this? For us, we have very straightforward conversations with Cinebooks Rights, and they're an awesome sales team. I mean, one of the things that we've been able to do in the market using the tax credits, international pre-sales, a second window in the U.S., is that we have two 26 by 60 crime shows that we make. And if you were to say to me, who's your who's your broadcaster? I would say Cinebooks Rights. Mm -hmm. So they commission the shows. So I was going to come here this week, I expected to come here this week and talk to you guys a lot about things like, you know, the everyday stuff that every industry is facing, inflation, uh, cost of labor, um, you know, everyday economic issues that, you know, recession. Mm -hmm. um, is actually in television, consolidation, mergers and acquisitions, um, the, the stuff that we've been, we've been talking about here, ROI is is that actually a bigger is it the same thing or is that a bigger problem algorithms was the word I was looking for there when you've got Alex Gibney this morning like the preeminent documentary maker saying that he gets notes from streamers going the algorithm says on 14 minutes this needs to happen and he says that he he pushes back when he can but that's that's like Alex Gibney saying that and getting those notes from streamers so is is that actually the bigger sort of challenge facing you guys as producers now consolidation M&A algorithms rather than recession, it's inflation. The, it's the de-emphasis on the creative. I mean, all of this, like it, this, you know, you see it in the film industry as well. People used to go after the best stories, the best storytellers, the most surprising stuff. And you would buy, you would build a big enough slate so that you could build in a few misses and then you'd have your big hits and hopefully you have more hits than misses. And TV, scripted and unscripted, but unscripted used to be that way. The creative was, people put out mandates that were creative focused. We want this unexpected world. We want this, this, is. Now the mandates we're getting are, we want shows under 300 an hour. That, there's nothing creative about that. There's a creative problem solving, and I get it from a business perspective. Yeah. But the, certain things also they cost. You can't, yeah. you, you can't like fabricate a show that really costs 500 at 300. You just can't do it. Right. Well, we, I mean, you can fabricate it. I mean, I remember, I remember coming here sort of eight or nine years ago when that had happened and it caused, caused big problems in reality, well, didn't it? Well, it interesting to see what I mean, Canada's networks have been consolidated for as long as I can remember. And so it's a system that's a big part of how the Canadian system works. And I don't know if, if it does anybody any good. I mean, you're, you're selling to one person for six different genres. Right. So it's, you know... And also creates a, a tremendous logjam. I it's mean, just getting a meeting takes 10 times as long because these people are servicing 
you know, ten brands. Or yeah, and I think and I think for the Americans, that's going to feel really slow. For Canada, it's still fast. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. You, uh, you mentioned you mentioned the you mentioned the um, the mergers. I mean, they, if you look at the whole thing, it's like a lot of them. Look at just Warner's for a second, right? They realized they Discovery realized they had to merge to protect the future of their business, and they did it because of Netflix, right? But in doing so, they took on this mountain of debt that they have to service, and to service it, they have to cut costs. That trickles all the way down to us, mm-hmm. and then the market turns on them where subs weren't growing as fast as they wanted them to, and then the ad market also falls out because of the recession. Now they're like, whoa, what do we do? And again, it trickles back down to us to the fact where most, not even just Discovery, but so many networks haven't ordered shows yeah. in like months, and we're just all waiting. We're like, we're ready. Discovery very keen this week to sort of say, I think the term was rear view mirroring 2022 is clumsy, uh, even even by the standards of uh, uh, television keynotes that, you know, when, that's not the way we're doing business now, but I kind of... We just want I've, them to do business. Well, yes, yeah. I've been I've been going around I've been going r- I've been going around asking people, you know, whether they whether they believe that. Um, because I, I feel like there's more to come for the reason that that, that you've given. I mean, as 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 much as you can say on that. I believe their intent. I don't know that in practice that's how it's going to work. Because I think there's shoes to drop, and I don't think everybody knows what that the, is. The market is going to dictate how they can function, right? Actually, the stock market potentially, but like the ad market people signing up for their services. And if those things aren't growing but going down, it's not going to help us. You're not going to just go, oh, nope, you haven't bought a show for eight months. I think it's time. It's like we have, the market's got to play itself out. And we don't know. Is that, is that first quarter? Is that second quarter? Hopefully soon. Um, but we don't know. I mean, if they say they're open for business. And they've got to wrap well, their head around what a streamer looks like yeah. and this new version the of the... new version of and, the and, streamer. And they're, they're not the only ones who are going through this. I mean, every major buyer has laid thousands of people off, whether they're merging or not merging, no matter what the case is, it's been right across the board. So how are you guys like protecting future-proofing your businesses with all of, the, with all of this going on? What's the, what's the respective strategies? Start, let's start with cream and work round. <laughs> okay. I mean, Good luck, Kate. I, Sorry. I found, I That's a religion. really... Yeah. I, found religion. Religion. I, found I mean, I think it's been... I mean, you know, I, we own television production companies. I, somebody asks me for projections, and I do projections. They're projections of, we'll get a new show from so-and-so. Yeah. I really have never, you know, you never totally know that you've got something, you know, three years out. But it's, it's really servicing the relationships. It is important for us to make it easy for buyers to say yes. I think it's very important for us to strengthen our distribution relationships so that we can walk in with a way to leverage this up. I think as a community of producers, we need to be on each other's side because if we're fighting with each other about I'll do this cheaper, I'll do this cheaper, nobody's better off. You know, If we've got good ideas about how to sort of solve a problem, sit down and have a beer and let's see if we can help each other. Help the networks get through what they're going through. I mean, the 75 cent dollar doesn't hurt us. <laughs> well, you had me at beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, listen, I would say... It's a really delicate balance because we are fortunate enough to have some reoccurring series and a base of business. And the constant question we have is, do we, in the, in the short term during this crunch, do we scale down just to what we need to service that business and just ride it out? But that basically means we're not developing, we're not selling, very little, or 
do we take that chance and continue to invest in development so that we have a great backlog so that when the doors do swing open... Because cyclic- everything's cyclical, right? Because it is right? cyclical. Right. But, uh, the pro- you know, even a company that's healthy like ours, there's only so much runway that you can play that game, right? We can't continue to have overhead de- dedicated to development and... Without income. Without... without yes. Yeah. So it's every day we're looking at it and saying, when do we think the doors are going to open? And... You know, how much of a staff can we really support right now? We've we've gone towards heavy development, like because I believe it's going to open back up. I believe we're going to find new business models and synergies and different ways to approach it. But it's a little scary. I mean, I you know, and I've talked to a lot of people that have similar size companies that are having the same issue, and then a lot of people that have smaller companies that are you know they have a very short runway, and I'm you know I worry for those guys, but. Yeah, you know, we're just we gotta we gotta believe that it's gonna come back. Otherwise, what are we doing? How about Cineflix? What's the how's the the future proofing? Is it sort of what I said? I mean, we're we're just really developing for the model. Um, it, it is really sad, as Patrick said, like the, the the middle for us, you know, was with those character tapes and those families and things like that. I know I can't sell that. And I know it's weird because they still say that on stage, the commissioners. They still say, "Bring us an the iPhone, bring us an iPhone yeah, video yeah, of sure. this guy you've met in the woods." It's like a needle in a haystack, sure. and it's development that goes forever. And they can't afford it the way they used yeah. to be able to afford yeah. it. They can't take as many shots as they used to be able to take. They have to take less shots at a, at a cost-effective price. So, for me, I've, I've had my development team, you know, not scale back, but just be very focused about: Can we produce this CanCon? Is this a project that someone's going to see and go, "I need to have that." You know, we just announced a project we're calling Surviving Hollywood with, with Anthony Rapp as, the, as sort of the lead talent. And like, a lot of people reach out to us to say we want to hear that pitch because they, they know it's buzzy, they know it's loud. So for me, like I said, it's either got to be there or it's got to be, you know, the business model. So it's my job to pick the talking points for, the, uh, for this podcast. And uh, the way this conversation has gone, I've done that well today. But let's, uh, let's uh, finish off by the, just something else, something that we should be talking about or something that you wanted to talk about. A challenge, an opportunity, something that you thought might go on this week that we, we haven't covered or you haven't heard while we've been here. Um, we haven't talked about it. We haven't talked about it on this podcast and I haven't, no, heard, haven't, I, heard, I, I haven't heard it yet. So is it, does that mean because people don't really think it's going to happen? Or? No, it's, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I would bet that it's going to happen. Um, but when it happened in 07, 08, I think it was, the business wasn't as mature and we were, you know, it was a different world, it's a different time. Um, and... Yeah. It helped yeah. create it's, this it exploded. business. Our, our business exploded in a great way. I don't know what the effect's going to be of the writer's strike, but I think for maybe the streamers who are more general, generalist, they're doing a lot of scripted, a lot of unscripted. So if they can't buy the scripted the way they were, maybe they have to buy more unscripted. For the cablers, I don't know if it's going to change much. I don't think, I don't think it's going to have much, if, if any, effect. Because most of those... The companies that we sell for, scripted is an afterthought at yeah, best. of course. So, writer strike, who cares? I mean, theoretically, if there's not scripted content on Fox and ABC and CBS, maybe people come to the back to the cable side and watch more reality. But unless the writer strike goes on years, it's not going. It's going to be a blip in the radar for us. I agree. Maybe Netflix, maybe Hulu. You see it, but that's even that. It doesn't. Not enough volume to make any major changes for us. So that or something else. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll think of something. I've been so focused. I mean, quite frankly, that this conversation that we had is the conversation that all of us have been having for the last eight months. So I will say this. I will say this. We, I think we all, there was some doom and gloom last year with a lot of my colleagues 
sure you guys were feeling it. And, you know, you get to a certain point where you think, well, we've, we've tried it all and it's, we're just getting nowhere and this is, you know, it's just how it is and we're just going to have to hunker down and survive. I don't know what it is, and I just speak for myself here. I, I am sensing and feeling an uptick, and I've decided that, you know, collectively we just have to find the workaround, and I believe that we will, and I think it's coming. And, and so producers do, right? Right, that's what we do. So we have to, we just have to decide to do it, you know, and not let whatever is going on and whatever's coming get in the way. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's just me projecting this, but I'm feeling that a little bit here. Kate, last word, uh, last word to you. Another talking point, or is it is it writer strike for you? What do you what do you think? I mean, I I think the I, I'm a really big believer. I think us, you know, having conversations like this, having conversations with each other, in a sort of in an active way where we actually can help each other move forward. Because we have to figure out the workaround, and you know, there is no industry if we all don't play ball. And then, you know, we as producers have power as a group. Um, so I think that's something that's really important is, you know, producers, distributors, like everybody outside of the networks, they need our help as, hu like think of them as human beings because they are. How do we make it easy for them and how do we work together to say, hey, I've got this great idea. I can't really do it at that point. Maybe you guys can. But I think those kinds of conversations are more important than ever. Um, I, think it's, I think it's also like honest conversations yeah. with our broadcast partners. Right. And like at senior levels, like this is a problem. Like. You need this budget at this. You like the show. I'll do it, but I need you know this has to be a U.S. license because I can get the money from international. Like, and that's that's how these doors have sort of been cracked open at the places that weren't necessarily into co-pros. Now they are because you, you show them how the math works for them. And they go okay. And transparency. That's exactly. It's just transparency, and you know it has to be worth our while to do business, um, and it's got to be worth their while to buy. the last day of uh, Real Screen here in Austin in Texas. I've once again been joined by uh, three producers on the US side. It gives us a chance to, to come and meet the, uh, the indies over here. So we'll go around the circle and, uh, and introduce our latest guest, uh, new to the podcast, Ethan Goldman from Anchor Entertainment. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Anchor? It was part of a group and then you took it indie. Um, tell That's us a little right. bit about the company and the shows that you guys work on. Great, yeah. Started the company uh, five years ago as a uh, a department of a larger creative agency called Anchor Worldwide. Uh, what happened in the past year is that we spun off. We found that uh, we had been able to generate enough to self-sustain, and um, it didn't really make sense for us to continue on knowing that there was going to be a sale of this other company, and we wanted to keep building. So we have produced for HBO. We had a, a project that uh, Aaron Lee Carr directed, a two-parter called Undercurrent, the murder, uh, sorry, the disappearance of Kim Wall. Uh, we recently had a four-part series on MSNBC and Peacock called Model America, which was actually MSNBC's first uh, series. They've done docs, but this was the first series they had done, and that was a, a great experience. And we have a, an upcoming project. It's a partnership with Blumhouse that's going to be on Sundance TV and AMC+. Any regrets about your, about your decision to spin off? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like you know, we're, we're, we're weathering the storm, and so far it's been fine. But uh, as we saw from the market this week, it seems that there's been a, a bit of an uptick, and things are, are looking a little bit 
Rosier. more optimistic. Yeah. yeah, a little bit better. We'll get into we'll get into that. Um, introduce my next guest is Tony Tackerberry. Last time uh, you were on the podcast, you were with Lion. And and maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. and now, and, uh, <laughs> I haven't been drinking, but I think that's right. And uh, have since set up Station Six. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the still relatively new company? Yeah, Station Six Productions uh, is is gonna, I hope, um, focus on the things I did reasonably well when I was at Lion. Ton of true crime uh, formats. That's probably the two areas of greatest focus. What's been really good and really interesting and a little timely is I've partnered with Blue Ant. They're my investors. Um, they bring a lot into to, to, in terms of resources, in terms of uh, a whole range of, of areas in which they've been helpful. But in particular, I can talk to them about potentially the CanCon um, tax credits mm-hmm. and that whole piece of it, which frankly I'm still learning about but it's it's a conversation I'm having with networks and and they seem much more receptive to it than I possibly could have imagined so that that probably is the is the greatest sort of the 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 thing that I'm I'm most focused on at the moment is seeing if I can uh, make that work I'm hearing CanCon a lot this week yeah that's that's come up a lot those uh, some of those blue ants guys uh, drank me under the table last night so that's why I've got this far away look in my eyes I think you've picked good partners there yeah the truth is that's why I joined (laughs) (laughs) and my final guest is Nancy Glass from the the Glass Entertainment Group always slightly nervous when I interview you Nancy because you tend to turn the question back on the interviewer (laughs) so I have to come up with my own uh, you know (laughs) really okay so I've been in business for 20 years, or I could say I used to be with Nancy Glass Entertainment, and then I switched to Glass Entertainment Group, but actually, it's the same company, it's just I was told, you can't have a girl's name. So, (laughs) we have three parts to our company. We have our uh, cable and premium programming. We have, uh, we are doing shows for um, Hulu, Netflix, um, uh, Paramount Plus, MTV, uh, Oxygen, HGTV. Uh, are you falling asleep yet? No, I'm I'm going, do you want to? Should we, should we list the list the channels you're not working yeah. for? You know, yeah, yeah. We just save us at the same time. Well, I'm kind of boring myself, but we're non-agnostic, so we do everything from lifestyle to we have uh, two shows now on on um, TLC. One is called Awake Surgery about people with plastic surgery while they're wide awake. Absolutely to that we not. Say, Right, that, but we say, oh God, and thank God. And then the other one is botched bariatric. People have botched bariatric surgery. One guy can't stop pooping on himself. Another person's stomach looks like a tush. Okay, so... You should combine these two shows. <laughs> you know, it kind of is. But anyway, then there's the podcast division. We have 30 million listens to our podcasts. And that's really fun and really exciting. And the third thing is our uh, game show division, where we have um, Let's Make a Deal. And and that's now being sold internationally for the first time in 20 years, so that's super exciting. We'd love to see it in England and, um, and all over, you know, outside the United States. And we also have another new game show coming out on GSN. And we just did a pilot for a game show with Fox. Game show is big this year, I reckon. You can produce them in volume, reason relatively cheap yes. to make, co-viewing, and feel good. That's well, going to work for 2023, thing. right? Yes, but nobody lets us produce them. Okay. So basically, we license them. Well, that's the business we're in. Yeah. You know, people mm-hmm. say, "Wait, you do this, you can't do that." 
So at this point, that's fine. Okay. It's yeah. It's it's slightly frustrating. I would have yeah. thought because of course you know. There are some fundamentals that I think are across all content. Story is story. Even yeah. in a game show, we did Cash Cab. Storytelling, and you draw people in, and the fundamentals remain the same. But So you're yeah. partnering with the studio? Well, yes. Partnering. Well, Fremantle does. I was going to say yeah. Fremantle, yeah. Fremantle does Let's Make a Deal, but not internationally. Right. And then Game Show Network is going to do the new one, and then Fox is going to do the next one. Let's talk about key takeaways from this week. It's been good to get back sort of in the room together. It's the first time I've been over here since 2020 in uh, New Orleans um, when we didn't really know what COVID was. Um, and now we do and we're just pretending it's not a thing anymore. Um, so nice to be back in the room. What are your key takeaways from this week? I have brought one of my own in case you ask me, Nancy. So go ahead. No, I'm going to go. I'm going to no, I'm going to I'm going to go last. I'm going to go last. What's and we're going to talk. Key takeaway? No, you go first. Sony, key takeaway from this week? Uh, I think we were just talking about this before. I think for us, I arrived thinking there might be a slightly depressed mood that the people will be down. We see what's happening in the trades, in terms of the marketplace, in terms of the economy in general. But actually, I felt that there's been a fairly optimistic uh, vibe. I think there's a realism and an acceptance. um, And there's a word that we've been talking about, pragmatism, that people are applying to the market and, and they're looking at, we, we were doing a panel yesterday and um, Adora Yudoji from PBS was just saying, you know. She was very positive on that panel. I yeah, she, she was. She was very positive, but she was also very clear. It's like, it's, ne- it's, it's, always, it's never been easy, even in the sort of golden age of documentary or whatever it was we were talking about. It wasn't easy. There's always challenges and, and we're producers and, and as producers, we're quite good at dealing with challenges. And so I think the vibe I'm getting on both sides is, yeah, all right, well, there's, there's, there's some rocky waters here. Let's figure it out. See, I agree with you. I think people here are very optimistic. Yeah. And I think also this group of producers, we're all very nice to each other. I mean, I don't think people consider each other sort of competitors. We all feel there's enough room for everybody. There is enough programming for everybody, even though it's tighter. So we all kind of confide in each other right. when we're here. This is where we exchange ideas. Like therapy. Uh, yes, yeah. like well, therapy. To the therapy. I think now more than ever, there seems to be this feeling of we're all in this together and the rising tide will lift all ships. So let's be nice to each other. Let's help each other how we can and hope for the best. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing, and I think it's represented with the three of us to some degree, is we been around a little bit. We've been in the business for a little while. You're looking very well on it. Well, <laughs> now I know you're lying. <laughs> um, and it's, the, it's the just for man touch of gray. <laughs> um, but I think we're, we're survivors and there's a re, you know, I think that's a valuable asset. There's a resilience and yeah. we've seen things come and go, right? We've all been through yeah. ups and downs. And so that's not to minimize what's going on and what definitely not to minimize what's happening at networks with you know people are losing their jobs and that's really tough but these things happen and and you just have to figure out a way through Ethan how's your uh, week been what's uh, been your key learnings what did you come to find out what are you going away with well it's good to hear from the people who are commissioning that 2022 is behind us mm. and that do you do you believe that <laughs> my uh <coughs> My person wants to believe that. My, my soul, every, every inch of me wants to believe that that is in fact the case. And 
I, I think we're already starting to see some signs that the market's opening up again and that you know we do have a sense of when this new platform that's going to include 16, 17, 18 brands is going to relaunch as some unnamed. But, but the only thing is yeah. that we know that the budgets are shrinking because one platform has so many channels. I mean, at one point I said to an executive, do you want this in color? Because <laughs> I was like, that's not exactly a budget. I mean, I understand trinkets, but I need trinkets and beads. Yeah, yeah, no, well, absolutely. You, you clearly haven't had your uh, beat sheets done by a, a, an AI robot through chat GPT. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I kid. But I think we're all, to Nancy's point, we're going to have to find ways of doing more with less. And it's not ideal, but I'd rather attempt that than not have the opportunity at all. So my um, thought yeah, from the week, well, my thought is usually there's an equal split at these things between the content and the, the business side of the content. You kind of come here and get to see some new shows. This week, it's been so heavily weighted towards business. I've heard talk about money, deal structures, mm -hmm. effects of algorithms, and in particular, mergers and acquisitions and the effects of consolidation. Like you say, one group owns so many of the cable nets. I asked somebody, you know, Discovery, described it in their keynote. Kathleen Finch said she was rear view mirroring 2022 and 2023 is going to be fine. And That's we hope we hope the producers still trust us enough to, you know, bring us the shows. But as somebody said, well, we don't really have a choice because she's in charge of about 25 different networks. But it's all been about that. It's been about the effects of consolidation and business. And I, I haven't really gone away with a new show that I'm looking to watch. So is this well, we is this the bit? We have to talk about something. Right? Yeah, is this is this the business for you guys? Like you got into it to make TV shows, right, and have great ideas and you know passion projects and stuff like that. But how much of your time now is that just the business of putting it together? And you know, you'd like to make this show, but the numbers don't add up. So I'm know. still lamenting the fact that I didn't come up with Milf Manor. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm lamenting I didn't come up with Pimple Popper. Yeah, yeah, so there yeah, you go. Yeah. You know. Uh, the twist on Milf Manor was, I mean, you could see that one coming, right? <laughs> We've had that precise discussion a few times this week. No, I, I, but I, I do think, again, I think it's what we were talking about happening in front of us, which is, well, this is the reality. This, the, the, what I will say that's good about the fact that that's been the focus is that those are the issues that are front and center, and we have to address them, so let's talk about them, let's figure it out, let's get, but but I have to say, in answer to your question, yes, that piece of it has become a much bigger part of what I do, I came into this to make shows, but I still, that process still hasn't changed, I still love the process of generating, creating content, making content, but I also enjoy the business piece of it, because you have to get creative as well, and it's, again, right. it's that adaptability. I enjoy that, actually. And I, we have business affairs people, as you do, and they will always say to me, I, I really Wait, believe... I need a business affairs guy. Uh, never <laughs> mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, only, if only if you're selling shows. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so then I'm good. Oh, it was so, going so friendly. Yeah, exactly. You just said it's all collaborative now. We're not competing. So they yeah. always come in and they're like, what did you agree to? And I'm like, I want to do this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. care. And they're like, you don't understand. We can't keep the lights on. I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, wait, don't you guys work for me? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but you do want people work for you who can tell you to knock it off. But the fact is we're all thinking about story yeah. and shows. Yeah, yeah. And I think our network partners know that we're in a tough place. That's the thing. They're not cavalier about it. 
They're like, you know, we're asking you to do a lot for a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> Still able to make the shows you want to make, or is the economic reality now that you just, you know, can't sometimes? I mean, sure, sometimes, but but I, I also think it's not a homogenous picture. It's like there are still big budgets, there are still big shows being made, and there are people willing to put up big budgets. That's always been the case. There are smaller budgets, always been the case. And actually, as someone that has done a ton, as have you, and, and I'm sure you, have done a ton of high-volume, low-cost content, absolutely love that creative process. There's, again, something about that challenge that I think is as appealing as getting a big, fat 1.5 million per episode, um, you know, premium doc series. They are nice though, those. They are nice. <laughs> well, but, but they are nice, but, but you know. Who gives you 1.5 million? <laughs> <laughs> well, what? I, wait, you're not getting that? <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, I, Nancy, so you worked with a, a beloved network uh, that exists but is no longer producing programming in-house. You had a great track record with CNN. Yeah. And to see them drop out, they weren't spending that sort of money, but to see them drop out of the picture was a huge loss for all of us. Devastating. Yeah. They gave us back our shows. Did they give you back shows? I, I The only shows we had were ones that were gearing up for production, and so those rights reverted to us free and clear, but I still have to set them somewhere else. You actually made projects. We made yeah. projects which they can't air, but they were so fair to us. Oh, of course. They, and they, they were very unusual because they had great budgets. They gave us back our shows and allowed us to place them other places. And that, and that, you know, we're not selling them for a lot of money. We're just getting them on the air. Yeah. I, there's a phrase that just popped into my head, which I do really believe in, which is this, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're forced into those kind of corners, yeah, you don't, you know, it's not ideal, but, but there is a challenge that I think we, I, I kind of enjoy to try and get yourself out of it. But the other thing, what you said, Nat, I think is 100% right. There have been times at Real Screen where there's a little more of a sort of antagonistic relationship between the networks and the and the uh, and us, the production sector. I'm not. I, I feel something a little warm and fuzzier. I know. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's kind of <laughs> easy for them to do that whilst at the same time saying, "Yeah, we're not going to give you any money for that." <laughs> yeah. But still, it, it's nice to have. I think a slight sense that we, you know, they're not exactly secure. They don't know what's yeah, gonna no, happen, I, what, I which think, shoe's gonna drop next. So. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, they, they won't buy shows for me, but they'll invite you over for dinner. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. As long as you guys pick up, what, 50% of the check. 50%. Does the warm and uh, fuzziness extend to rights? Rights got a mention there. When I started coming to Real Screen and started working for C21 10 years ago, the idea that Discovery or A&E or anybody would leave you with rights to your shows, they were just like laughable, you know, no, we've got History Network in 196 territories will be needing all the rights, thank you, and it's you know pure work for hire. As the budgets are going down, as we've already well, discussed, are you getting left with your shows more often? Is that, no, is that option there? No, there's a range. It so goes somewhere between Bookkiss and Zilch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that sounds like it's better than it was. Yeah. That's not. But, but. To your point, Tony, yeah. one of the reasons, one of the, the aspects of your business that gives you a leg up is that you can now tap into Canadian money right. where, where a uh, Canada is getting a window for a percentage, maybe 30% of the budget, and free money is free money. 
Yeah, and it's it, it, it is a bit of a win-win. Like they get to the networks get to spend less than they would normally do, which means you know that's efficiency for them. We get to retain some you know a little bit of the rights, and so I think there are circumstances where you're right that conversation is is more open than it has been for a while. But again, out of necessity, I think we're all navigating this this right. Need. If you bring money to the table, yeah, from an international distributor you have a better chance of getting your show on the air. Yeah. And you have that relationship. I've been trying to do this for years. The catch-22 is if you don't have the U.S. broadcaster set up, then it's hard to get that money from an international distributor. And so it's a chicken-egg scenario. CNN is a big loss. Um, Alex Gibney mentioned that in his, his keynote. It was a big loss. Mm. Um, do we think they're the that's the last of it? Or are, you, are we worried that more will go the way that more good buyers for you guys are going to go the way of, of CNN? I, I, don't, I don't think we've seen the last of, of that kind of um, thing. No, I don't. Um, that consolidation. I, I, well, I, and it's a little, yeah, and coming, frankly. I just mm. think, I, I, it, it's interesting. I will say, on the one hand, I don't think we've seen the end of that. On the other hand, there is this sort of incredible momentum and growth behind all the fast channels so there is a little bit take away with one hand and give 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 with the other but no I, I I think there are there are a couple of other networks that you could probably point to and say I wonder where where they're going to be in not too distant a time is that consolidation a bigger threat and problem to you guys than the economic situation that's affecting every industry about you know inflation rising costs of Labor rising, cost of everything. What's 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 sort of what keeps you awake more as we look ahead to 2023? This consolidation and M and A in in TV, or general economic pressures that's affecting I think everybody. General economic pressures. You have to pay your people more. It's harder to find people. The supply, every supply, everything costs more. But budgets are not going up. So, I mean, do you guys see that? I I think that's right. I I. I I disagree in the... the I know. What? Are I know. we having our first I, we are, fight? We are. This I can't is, believe I'm this. Sli- I'm now very scared. <laughs> <laughs> can I retract that yes. statement? Your listeners don't know how large I am. Yeah, what Nancy said is 100% correct, and I wouldn't disagree with her for a heartbeat. I, look, I, there's no question the economic uh, climate is, is, is on all our minds. But, again, we, I know I've been around long... You know, I'm old enough now that these <coughs> things will pass. The consolidation, I don't think I'm, it doesn't keep me up, but it's its fundamentally changing the landscape and, and that's going to be with us for a while. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, but I, I'm, I'm sort of focused on it. You know, we just talked about it. In the At the end of the day, there's, there's maybe five buyers for what we do, really, when, you come, when it comes down to it. And that's very different from when I came over 20 years ago when there were 50 buyers. Mm. Um, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing, but it's different. With documentaries, which both of you do as part of your slate, there are many more buyers than yeah. there were in 2012. And so even if it's five, when you look at the actual conglomerate that is doing it, it's still more than HBO and then later Netflix. Now at least we have a few other options to get those limited series and those doc features set up and you know they're also competing well ostensibly they're competing for those projects at festival festivals as acquisitions as we've seen from the market at least in 2022 uh, there was not 
as uh, lively a market as we would all like to see. Even when we get something financed independently, those financers still want to recoup their funds. And when they don't, they're a little bit more reluctant to put into the next project. So I think all of these things are so interrelated and one affects the other and we're trying to make sense of it, but also not panicking because at the end of the day, we still have to manage a team and make them feel confident about the fact that they're going to have jobs in 12 months. Um, uh, we mentioned AI jokingly earlier <laughs> and um, something else that came up in Alex Gibney's keynote was this issue of algorithms, um, particularly when working with the streamers. He said that even Alex Gibney, like preeminent, brilliant documentary maker, gets notes saying the algorithm says after 14 minutes this needs to happen. I couldn't believe that someone would give that note to Alex Gibney. Do you guys, have you experienced anything like this? Like this, this algorithm sort of driving, driving shows? Like I've experienced it. Our team has experienced it when going out with projects that don't fit the top 10 algorithm. For instance, if a project isn't true crime, true crime, true, sorry, true crime, true con, or something that is very zeitgeisty that was in the top 10 two weeks ago, they may not be as willing to consider it because they know what their viewers are going to watch. But I have never been told the algorithm told me to cut down an act. No, my, my only relationship with the algorithm is that Netflix keeps pushing me Harry and Meghan. <laughs> and I think it's because I watch The Crown fairly avidly. Um, but no, but look, I you know, you could have been watching Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is Megan going to play Megan in The Crown? I mean, yeah. She's got, oh, she's got, she's got yeah, that yeah, Netflix yeah, deal, yeah. right? That <laughs> will be the most sort of meta thing that you could have yeah, watched. Really. Yeah. yeah, She'd actually quite enjoy that. What's the, um, I've been finishing the podcast this week by asking sort of what's the talking point that we're not talking about that you haven't heard this week. Uh, somebody said writer's strike yesterday. Obviously, was big for Unscripted the last time that happened. What else should we have been talking about this week other than think, algorithms and all the rest of it? Listen, I, I, we'll, we'll praise all of our executives who are buying shows from us and those who aren't, others who just can't. I think there is a general fear of walking into the boardroom and trying to sell an idea up because nobody wants to draw attention to themselves right now. No one wants to fall on his or her sword. It's very risk averse. It yes. is. No, I, th I think that's right, and understandably so. You're absolutely right. I mean, but, it, go and, you know, what, what, what happens, so the, the, in past years, the executives come back from these meetings, sorry, from these uh, summits, and they sit down with the entire team and they say, let's prioritize pitches, let's talk about the things that we need to buy, let's talk about the things that are competitive. I don't see that being a very lively discussion. No, and I had a very interesting thing happen. First of all, I have not had any AI discussions, but we've always known you gotta get them in the first minute or first 30 seconds. That's but it's so true. Yeah, but I had a very interesting thing happen in a documentary that was super dramatic, like a crazy, crazy story. Network developed it, then they went to testing, and they said, we love it, but we cannot pick it up because our testing was, will you subscribe to the network to watch this? And that was a very interesting, like, what? I, I mean, it's a, it's a very high bar. Yes. Right? I think there are, there are only a 
small percentage of shows that are going to make somebody sign up for their $14.99. And that's service. why you're going to see more shows like Casey Anthony or Harry and Meghan, because it, if it's something familiar or in the zeitgeist, um, then, then there is the theory that people will sign up for that service just to see that. UK factual producer Zinc Media Group recently launched a new label called Atomic Television, spearheaded by premium factual exec Stephen McQuillan. The Bristol-based label is targeting specialist factual content within the genres of history, science, adventure and documentary. It sees Zinc establishing a Bristol base for the first time, further expanding its footprint in the UK nations and regions. McQuillan comes to Zinc from Bristol-based wildlife producer Humblebee Films, where he was creative director, the same role he held previously at Icon Films. He spoke to Clive Whittingham at the Real Screen Summit in Austin, Texas last week about the new venture and his plans to build a business. So I'm here with Stephen McQuillan, known, I think the last time we spoke you were at Icon, probably. Um, yeah. But you've got a new gig, so uh, tell us about the, the new company which launched a week ago. Yeah, so we launched Atomic Television, is the label that we launched under the Zinc banner. Um, very exciting. We are um, we are planning to uh, get as much business as we can in the specialist factual market, so the history, science, docs, adventure, uh, and really looking at that kind of premium factual as the key sort of area that we're going to focus on. Um, UK or international, we're obviously we're speaking in, in America, people can't see that, but uh, clearly international outlook, um, what sort of markets are you targeting? Global. So, you know, the, the, um, the kind of markets that I would have looked at at ICOM were Nat Geo and Netflix and Discovery. Most of the work that I've done in the last five years has been with those bigger international players. I've done quite a lot in the UK as well, so I think one of the things actually about being here this week is that everybody is trying to work out how to create a deal and quite often that involves UK and global uh, co-pros obviously, so uh, uh, very, very keen to stay very plugged into the UK market but, but look into that bigger premium market as well. Um, natural history was obviously a, a big part of, of what you were doing before, is, are we going to be seeing more of that or is it? are you moving in a different direction now? Certainly not blue chip natural history. Um, I will still be fishing in the people and animals um, <laughs> pond um, because uh, I think there's actually one of the one of the more interesting uh, conversations this week uh, was with Blue Ant, for instance, who are who are saying we're buying. So you know, not everybody has been saying that at real screen. So uh, certainly, certainly broadcasters like that will be targeting, and you know. I've, quite long connections in the worlds of, um, you know, big international wildlife rescue territory, so that's another space that we'll be looking at. Who, um, who else is, uh, is part of Atomic with you? Uh, you've said that you've gone in with, with Zinc, who else is involved? Uh, I have a former colleague, Trevor Manning, uh, from Icon, who will be employee number one, and at this stage there only is uh, Trevor and I. Um, he's a, a very, very good development producer uh, and, in fact, a, a, a very accomplished uh, PD. We worked on the Primal Survivor series together and we developed quite a few series together. So we will be very much a Bristol-based brand and that's very important for Atomic that um, we build a base in Bristol. Obviously, Zinc are based in London and all of the back room is there, the, the HR and the 
legals and everything. But the goal is very much to, to build a Bristol-based company and use that amazing talent pool in Bristol um, of specialist factual producers and execs who, who at the moment are often getting on the first off-peak train to London of a Monday morning uh, and it would be great to kind of keep them in the city and, and really tap into that amazing heritage that Bristol has in Specialist Factual. That 1010 from Bristol Temple Meads, like the, t- the TV Express, isn't it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It is, it is full of TV talent, slightly disgruntled at uh, having to go to London. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I think, you know, there's been so many great brands in Bristol from diverse back in the day, um, Icon and Tigress and... Um, it feels like a good time to launch another specialist factual brand and, and as I say, bring back, you know, those really excellent people in the city who, who make amazing television. Yeah, I was going to say, why why now? Obviously, sort of economic headwinds that, that we talk about a lot on, on the C21 podcast and just coming out of a pandemic, you know, it's, it is tough times. Why, have, why is now the right time for you to, to go it alone? I mean, I think it's, it is tough, but it is interesting. You know, there's an awful lot of um, incredibly good factual being made. It's harder to get stuff away. I think everybody knows that. But the opportunity to make really top-end uh, factual programming is, 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 you know, really good. And one of the things I've been very keen to do is to plug into some of the journalism that I have in, in the previous, but I was a former Panorama producer and... Uh, and worked in current affairs at the BBC for a long time. And I think in the premium space, there is a real opportunity for an injection of journalism and something that that really does bring new revelation into those big, iconic contemporary history stories or science. So that's a that's a little bit of a niche that I think isn't isn't quite uh, hasn't quite been fulfilled. So, you know, that's another reason I've, I've wanted to set up myself for a long time. So it's it's um, and it was an opportune. Uh, coming together with Zinc, who have a fantastic uh, stable of companies. And uh, Tanya Shaw has recently joined the company, who's a, a fabulous MD. So um, it felt like a, 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 the time was right. That's good. I mean, a, a lot of people launch with a with a company like that. It just provides, presumably, that sort of back office and support and, you know, a foundation to build a company on rather than two guys in a room over a pub, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And, you know, there are incredible people at um, Zinc. They, um, you know, they make a really broad range of, of programming. They have, you know, from, from bargain-loving Brits uh, abroad to, you know, some really top-end documentary that, that comes out of the, the group. So they're quite a, I think they're quite a distinct group. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of collaboration between the different creative directors within the group. Um, people I've worked with in the past and uh, so yeah I think for me it felt like the most attractive probably of those of those companies that do offer that kind of backroom. What is the um, the because we mentioned there the, the economic headwinds in you know inflation and rising costs of, of talent and uh, putting a workforce together how do you intend to tackle that we've heard a lot of real screen this week everyone's talking about much more how you get the deal done rather than what the actual program is you know the program idea seems massively secondary in a lot of the conversations I've had this week it's all about how we put the finance together in co-productions and you know there's a lot of that going on at the minute so as a, as a new startup what's your your strategy in that regard I mean you're right that everybody seems to be talking about um, the financial aspect of the of the process which is you know 
often not the most inspiring part. But when it's I'm not happy, what you get into it for, is it? No. You want to make you want to make television programs. Yeah, we've like. all got to make a living. But the conversations I have with with buyers still come down to the best ideas and um, although sometimes it can feel like a really intimidatingly tough market you know when you get conversations going about stories that are exciting and when you've got new ways into them and you've got new new evidence um, for me I think that's always going to be the way that the company will thrive just having the best stories and having the best journalism and offering the most robust uh, projects to the biggest buyers. How do you sort of see the the situation in the in the UK at the moment? Are you aiming at the the terrestrial channels? Obviously, the Channel Four privatisation has gone away. Or are you hoping to get things away with streamers? Or will it be a sort of mixed uh, a mixed ecology for you guys? Well, it, you know, some of the more interesting deals at the um, at the kind of premium end of uh, specialist factual have been these very innovative um, co-pros between you know Apple and the BBC or Netflix and Sky. Um, and we'll certainly be exploring the opportunity to to get commissions in the UK and bring in global money or the other way around. Um, but you know, the Channel Four decision is a, a huge boon for the whole industry. You know, and we were obviously all very anxious about what was going to happen with that. And it's it's fantastic that they are still going to be there. There's obviously a Bristol presence with Channel Four, and um, you know, really good people who have been appointed recently into roles within the specialist factual team so you know the BBC and Channel 4 and ITV and Channel 5 will be key people for Atomic. Talk to me a little bit you mentioned the sort of the journalism bent of some of the content that you're going to be making and your, your panorama background that's the sort of television that I love and has possibly gone away because a lot of those strands I mean panorama's still around but things like world in action and things like that are a, a thing of the past so Talk to me a little bit about what that content's going to look like, why you think it's important, and, and why it has gone away. Because it seems to me, the amount of, you know, the way the country's being run and whatever, there's never been a more important time for, you know, proper journalistic standard documentary. But like you say, it's, it's it hasn't been on trend for, for for some reason. Yeah, I mean, when I worked in Panorama, there was you know amazing films being made by the the team in there that were that were winning awards, and they were really very, very journalistically robust investigations that were happening. What I think is slightly lacking, there's there's an awful lot of um, uh, really excellent programming around big iconic events in recent history. Uh, they, they tend to be more of a, of a, like a rerun of the event or a walk through the event rather than going back in and finding new revelation. Like, the, like the Wikipedia entry. It's basically like you're reading the Wikipedia yes, thing. Yes, right? exactly yeah. that. And I mean, you know, there may be a reason for that. It may be that, uh, I, 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 you know, that there is a, a slightly uncomfortable mix when journalism comes together with sort of premium filmmaking. But, um, I, you know, I, I, some of the early stories that we have in our slate are as a big iconic stories that we've gone back into to find and really you know journalism takes time and it takes money so to deliver a premium product but also you know really dig into the journalism is is not a cheap undertaking so and that may be one of the reasons why actually current affairs has has moved lead lead time and and cost yeah when factual is meant to have that advantage of being Yes, little of you know short lead times and, and low cost, like That's you say, right. doing a proper a proper investigation is. But you know some of the stories that we have been looking at, you know, are, are stories that 
I covered when I worked in um, when I worked in current affairs, and of course they're not history; they feel like history projects. But there's still huge numbers of um, untied ends and things that have still occurred in these stories that that I think really are worth re- revisiting um, and bringing a say, you know, bringing new new revelation to to things that are. You know, for a younger audience, they may be just sort of vaguely in the background of their head, but going back in and giving you a full grounding in it, and then, as I say, bring it forward. Do you think you that could be, like you say, it could be an interesting niche to go into? Because at the moment, every time there's a a long feature, a, a long read feature, a book, a podcast, there's kind of this arms race of TV production companies trying to grab it to to do the TV version of it. But this could be a sort of way to, to go round that and, like you say, a different niche to, to carve into? Well, exactly. It's um, y- y- Often the, the podcast version and the, and the TV version are, are, are sort of, certainly they're more discursive. I think, you know, you're getting a lot of character and amazing storytelling, but um, that, that, that core part of the journalism often isn't quite as examined. So, I mean, I love the, the work that's been done on yeah, a story like the West Court podcast was one of the best things I've ever listened to. But it was, you know, and there was journalism within that. But it was a human story, wasn't it? it was yeah. a, um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it for us. And and also the other thing I would mention is the adventure side of things, where obviously we've made quite a lot of uh, in, in previous roles. I've made a lot of adventure and travel uh, series and. I think there is a little bit of an opening up to the world now post-COVID that people want to get out and they want to see parts of the world that they haven't been able to get to for the last two, three years. So that's another big strand for us that we'll be looking to to get into. Is that driven by talent? Like whoever's, you know, you send a person that people know to a place that they don't, that's the kind of thought. Is that, or are you looking at it from a different, from a different point of view? Well, certainly that, and that again in the last... You know, four or five years, the talent uh, needs have changed dramatically, and I think, you know, the idea of, you know, the type of person who would have done that kind of travelogue is is not. People don't want to watch that type of travelogue anymore. They want to. There has to be innovation around who is is um, who the talent is and what you're doing with them. I mean, I think the travel genre has become energized by the growth of diversity and inclusion and the innovation that that has brought to the whole genre. We always finish by asking people what their three-year plan is. Difficult when your company's a week old and particularly difficult at the moment when things change so rapidly from week to week. It's kind of difficult to have a three-month plan, but as best you can, what's the uh, the three-year plan for Atomic when we sit down in America three Januarys from now? Where do you want to be? What do you want to have done? In another big beige hotel. In a somewhere. big beige hotel, yeah. Uh, well, I'm sort of on a three-week plan at the moment. Um, but, you know, it's very clear what I would like to do with the company, which is get some returning series um, as the kind of base of the company, which we all know that that is what you build from, but, but really trying to get into that premium space and, you know, making shows that were pride of and shows that that can kind of as I say bring it bring a new revelation bring a new understanding to the audience of of big iconic stories Stephen McQuillan speaking with Clive Whittingham at the Real Screen Summit in Austin Texas last week that's all for this episode but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday 
The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. 